We've been uh, navigating our way through the book of Romans. And uh, I don't know whether you've read the book of Romans through. You should have read it through many times, really. But it is, it is actually quite a difficult little book to get your head around. Because Paul says so much in there. What I'm trying to do in the series is, is simplify it and give, you, give us as a church really what he's trying to say in a nutshell. There's going to be bits of it that I'm going to be missing out. There's going to be bits that I'm going to be rushing through. There's going to be bits that I'm going to be spending more time on. But it's such an important book for us. Paul is writing to a church he's never been to. And so he's trying to give them as clearly, I don't know whether Paul does clear, but as clearly as possible, the truth of the good news, the gospel. He's never pre preached in the church. He's never been able to impart life to this church. So in this letter, he's giving this church in Rome his understanding of what the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so he's starting right at the beginning, obviously, and he's going all the way through. He's trying to get this church to understand why we are the church, what we are here for, what we should be doing, and what it should be founded on. Now, for many of us, we, we started coming to church for all sorts of reasons. You might have come because mum and dad made you come. You might have come because your friends are here. You might have come because it's just something to do on a Sunday. You might have come because you've always gone to church, and so it's something I do on a Sunday. So church is something you go to. But what Paul is trying to educate these Roman people and us is that church isn't something we go to. Church is something we are. We are the church. And poor old Aaron's trying to find out what on earth I'm saying here because it's not in the notes. Right. So just stay there. That's a good place to stay, Aaron. We are the church. The church is not a place that you come to. The church is not an organization you belong to. The church is God's people on earth. Wherever we are is the church. And he's trying to, to show us in the book of Romans what that means for us. How do we become the church? And once we are the church, how should we behave? What should the church look like when it's in action? What should it look like when it's at home? What should it look like in a marriage? What should it look like at work? What should this church look like, but more also, what is it founded on? Church, the church is not just a people who act a certain way. The church is a group of people who have something. And so in the book of Romans, he is giving us an overview of what the church is. And he starts off at the beginning. He says, in the beginning, we need good news. We need good news because we are broken people. This world is a world of bad news. And so God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the good news in the midst of bad news. The bad news is that because we have gone away from God, because we have lived lives that are separate from God, we are broken people. There's not a person born on this planet who's not born broken. I didn't say evil, I said broken. We are all born broken. We are unable to fix ourselves. And into this brokenness, God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come 
to put things to right, to fix our brokenness. Don't even know where I am myself now. And we pick up the story in Romans chapter 3. Paul has been laying that foundation that we're all broken, every single one of us. The good are broken, the bad are broken, the religious are broken. We are all broken. We can't fix ourselves. Nothing you can do can change the situation. Nothing a politician can do can change the situation. I'm sorry, Jacinda, but you cannot fix our brokenness. No politician, no Trump, no nobody can fix our brokenness. Mr. Trump will not make America great again. God will make America great again. The only one who can fix our brokenness is the one who created us, the Lord himself. But there is a process to fixing that brokenness. It isn't just done by a click of the fingers. It isn't done by coming along to a church service. That brokenness can only be fixed one way. And that's for God to come as a man to fix it for us. And we're reading Romans chapter 3, and this is where we're up to. Verse 21. But now, in the midst of this mess, but now a righteousness from God, apart from law, apart from our effort, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, this being in the right from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So there's nothing we can do except believe, except trust, except accept that Jesus Christ is the answer for our brokenness. Verse 22, I'll read it again. The righteousness, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right, freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. And this is where we came to last week. There's two key words in this verse, or these two verses. Redemption and atonement. Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to be our atonement offering. Now both of these are Old Testament ideas. If you don't know your Old Testament very well, they're just words to you. But they're not just words. They are key words to us becoming the church. They are key words to us beginning to move into freedom. They are key words to your brokenness being fixed. The first one is redemption. And that's what we looked at last week. And the Redeemer, the Gal, the Hebrew word is Gal, G-A-A-L. It means to buy back, to set free. The Redeemer was a member of the household, usually the oldest brother. The oldest blood relative was your Redeemer. If you got yourself into financial trouble, the Redeemer's job was to buy your stuff back for you. If you got yourself into so much financial trouble that you had to sell yourself into slavery, the Redeemer's job was to buy you back so that you could be set free. If you were a woman and your husband died, the Redeemer who wasn't married, the oldest Redeemer who wasn't married, who was a male, his job was to marry you so that you could have children and your hope would be restored. 
And fourthly, the Redeemer's job was to be the avenger of blood. If your family was under attack, the Redeemer's job was to deal with the attacker once and for all and put him out of business. And we find in the, and when Jesus, when it talks about Jesus being our Redeemer, he did these four things on the cross. On the cross, he bought back everything that Adam lost in Genesis 3. Everything that Adam lost, Jesus bought back with his blood. When we fell, when Adam fell in Genesis chapter 3, we were sold into slavery to the devil, every single one of us. That's what it means to be broken. And Jesus paid the price of his blood to buy us back. Thirdly, we have no hope. We are in brokenness. We have no real hope. That's why our suicide rate is so huge. There's no hope in this world, but Jesus died to bring back hope into our lives, to show us there's a hope for our future, that even though it may be dark right now, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and Jesus is that light. And fourthly, Jesus died to be the avenger of blood. He came to take our, event, our vengeance out on the devil. He came to beat the devil up, to defeat him, so that we could be free from the one who's come to kill steal and destroy. That's what we looked at last week. But the second word in that passage, verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. This is a hard understanding for us. The redeem is easy, but atonement is a hard one. Once again, it's an Old Testament idea. Atonement means to purge to take away, literally to cover up with tar or bitumen, to so cover it up that it's gone. It refers to reconciliation, to restore relationship. And the whole understanding of atonement comes from this question. How can a righteous God, think about this for a minute, how can a God who is righteous, who is holy, declare sinful people to be in the right? Now think about it for a moment. You're in a courtroom and the judge is there and there's a person there who is a murderer. How can that judge in all integrity declare that person to be in the right? It's impossible. They're not in the right. They are guilty. Guilty as charged. There has to be a penalty. The same for a shoplifter. How can the judge say, oh, yeah, I know you're a shoplifter, but I'll, I'll just let you off. I'll declare you to be in the right. You're not in the right. You are guilty. There's a penalty to be paid. And our problem is when we come before the judge at the end of time, we stand before him guilty. Not one of us can say, I am okay. Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us is broken. So how can a righteous God declare broken things whole? How can he declare guilty people in the right? How can he say of you, you're okay when we know we're not okay? Hmm? And this is where atonement comes in. How can a righteous God stay righteous and yet declare us to be in the right because the only way we can be saved is for God to say you are now 
in the right, you are free. But how can he say that and remain God? How can he say that and remain righteous? How can he remain just? Because he can't twist things to suit himself. God is God. To remain God, he has to be totally just, totally righteous, do everything right. And it's not right to declare you and I in the right as it is. I don't understand it, but there is a price to be paid. God said, the soul that sins shall die. God said to Adam, the moment you eat of that fruit, you will die. So will your family. So will your children and their children and their children. Brokenness shall come into your line if you eat of that fruit. If you do it, you will die. They ate of it, and death came into our being. How can God undo that? And we find the first stage of that in Genesis chapter 3. They discovered they were naked and they were ashamed. You see, brokenness brings shame. And God clothed them. They clothed themselves with fig leaves, which would just fall off. God clothed them with skins of animals. Where did he get a skin of an animal from? An animal had to die for them to be clothed. That is the first stage of atonement. Something had to die in their place. And we see over and over and over again, right through the Old Testament, that for a person to be set free, for a person to be declared in the right, something had to die in their place. What was God showing them? What was he showing us? He was showing us that only a righteous one could take our place. Only someone who had never sinned, only someone who was never broken could stand in the courtroom and take our place. There's a little story in the book of Zechariah, and I want you to turn there because I think this really shows us what we're talking about. Zechariah chapter 3. Do you know where it is? If you do, go there. If you don't, find it. Because you need, your eyes need to see it as well as your ears hear it. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. We're going to read this and then we're going to go, go to Leviticus and look at the law of atonement. But this is really the picture of what atonement is all about. Zechariah chapter 3. This isn't in the notes either, Aaron. <laughs> then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, just stop for a minute. This is referring to the best of the best. Joshua is the high priest at the time. If anybody was holy, it was this person. If anybody was good, it was this person. If there was anybody who could earn God's favor by what they have done, it was this person. He was the high priest. He was the one who represented them before God. He was the one who went into the Holy of Holies once a year. This person surely is okay. Let's carry on. He showed me. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Next bit, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, 
The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a man, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then he said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Here's a picture of a man, the man who really has the most right to declare himself righteous before God, but before God he's filthy, just like we are. Before God he's unclean. God is holy, we are not. And he's standing before God. His clothes are probably okay, but in, God's, in the light of God's glory, they look filthy, just like we do. And the devil's there to accuse him, just like he's there to accuse you. He's saying, God, he, he swore the other day. And he kicked the dog. And he didn't feed the cat. And he wasn't nice to his wife. And it was Father's Day, and he didn't give his dad a present. He even forgot. And one by one, he's bringing accusation against this man. It's just what he does with you. Doesn't he do it with you every day? Doesn't he remind you of what you did the other day, what you did the other year, what you did 15 years before? Doesn't he talk about you all the time, tell you what a scumbag you are, tell you how rotten you are, tell you how no good you are, and you will never amount to anything? Doesn't that voice go on in your head all the time? And the devil is at his right hand, the hand of strength, to accuse him. And the angel of the Lord is there in this courtroom. You've got God, the righteous judge. You've got Joshua, who's being accused. You've got the devil standing there accusing him. And then you've got the angel of the Lord, who's the Lord Jesus Christ there. And the angel of the Lord turns around and says, I make you clean. You're not clean, but I make you clean. Take off his dirty clothes and put clean ones on. Because I make him clean. I make him clean. See, Jesus became sin for us. Jesus took our place. That's what atonement means, to take your place. To take the place of the accused so that you can go free. Let's go to the book of Leviticus now. Leviticus chapter 16. I'm not into this Old Testament stuff. I tell you what, if you're not into this Old Testament stuff, you'll never understand what Jesus has done for you. Never, ever, ever, ever. It's all in there. In fact, the the New Testament really just skims over it, just tells you it's there. The Old Testament tells you what is there. And we just looked last week at what the Redeemer was. There's some things you probably didn't even know existed that Jesus had done for you. You don't find those so much in the New Testament. They're all in the Old. We're going to the Old to see what atonement's all about. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 6. Oh, no wonder it's not right. I'm in the wrong book. (laughs) I was in Numbers. I thought, that's not what it's meant to say. Good thing I didn't start to read it, eh? Leviticus 16, verse 6. This is the law for the Day of Atonement. We're picking it up halfway through. Aaron is to offer, not this Aaron, 
the other Aaron. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. There's the word. Atonement means to die in its place, to cover, to make clean. So he's to offer a bull as a sin offering to make atonement for himself. So the bull would take his place in the courtroom. Then he's to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. So there's two goats. One of them's going to be chosen for one job, one for the other. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. So one goat dies. Bloody stuff, this. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Now hang in there with me. I'm going to explain this in a moment. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering. And we'll, let's leave the bulls alone. Let's go to verse 15. You didn't hear me say what you thought I heard. I said something else. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. In other words, sprinkle it. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He's to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement. See the word over and over again. Having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. So that animal that has died, its blood is taken, it's sprinkled around on the, on, the, on the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkled on the tent of meeting, and that animal has died in their place. Atonement. Because that animal has died, they are now acceptable before God. You say, I don't, I don't like this stuff. Hang in there with me. Verse 20, when Aaron was finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. That would have taken some time. Just mine would have kept them going for a few, a few weeks all their sins and put them on the goat's head. Do you, notice, do you see what's happening here? To put all of their sins on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert. Two goats. One would die on behalf of the people. One would take the penalty upon itself. One would die in their place so that the righteous judge could righteously declare them in the right because a penalty has been paid. The other goat had all of the sins confessed over them. Imagine they're standing there waiting. Oh, come on. More and more confessed over them one at a time confessed over them the goat would carry those sins on its head into the wilderness why because he's taking the sins away one has paid the price the other 
is taking them away. It's one thing to pay the price, but they're still there. The second one takes them away. And when it says in Romans that Jesus on the cross was our atonement, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. First of all, he died on the cross. His blood was shed, just like that live goat's blood was shed. He took the penalty for our brokenness. He took the penalty for our sin. He died in our place. He became the atonement offering for us. Secondly, as he died there, the Bible tells us he became sin for us. All that we have done, all that we are, all of our brokenness, all of our wrong, all of our sin, all of whatever we are and have been and will be and whatever our family were and their family were and their family were, right back to Adam, Jesus took on himself and took it away. We need to understand that. When we choose to accept what Christ has done, we are no longer under the power of sin. You are no longer under the power of brokenness. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, number one, you have accepted that he died in your place. Number two, you have accepted that he has taken everything away. It's gone. Why keep bringing it back? if he's taken it away? Why keep remembering what you did back there if you have accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, he's taken it away, why keep remembering it? It's gone. You know, a lot of us pray like this, oh God, forgive me for what I did in 1972. Oh God, it was terrible. I just can't. I can't forgive myself. I can't forget it. And do you know what God's doing? He's saying, what? What are you talking about? What? You know what I did in 1972? When? Jesus took it away. God doesn't remember it anymore. Why should you? If Jesus has forgiven it, if he has cleansed us, why do we keep going back there? And I guarantee every single one of us does that. I guarantee over and over and over we are revisiting old stuff. Not only that we have done, but what other people have done. We keep bringing it back. Oh, oh, let's have another one. Let's have a feast of another bit of yuckiness. And we live our lives bringing back dead stuff. Because when Jesus died on the cross, not it was finished. That means it's gone. He's taken it away. God doesn't remember it anymore. Why should you? Oh. Romans 4. Let's go back to Romans. I haven't spent very long on that, but it's so important. It's so important for us to understand. You are free, people. 
you say, oh, yeah, but I, I, there's still stuff in my life. Of course there's stuff in your life. We, we, we are in the process of dealing with our brokenness, but from the time we accept Jesus Christ, from the time we say, Jesus Christ, I make you my Lord and Savior, he has taken it away. As far as God is concerned, it's gone. It's finished as far as God is concerned. Then you've got a little bit of working to do, but that's later. That comes later on in Romans. But right now we need to understand between us and God, there is no separation. Between us and God, it's finished. Between us and God, there's none of that any longer. What you did 10 years ago isn't in the picture anymore between us and God. Romans 4, 7 and 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. There it is, covered with bitumen, with tar. You know, when tar gets on something, you don't get it off. It's gone. What's under there is hidden. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. You hearing this? Whose sin the Lord will never count against him. God will not count against you what you did last week. If you have presented it before the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've come to Jesus and said, God, I ask you to forgive me, it's gone. It's gone. Your driving ticket you got two years ago, it's gone. The police might remember it, but God doesn't. You know, we, you know, in, in this church, we have police checks for, for, uh, for people who, who do youth work and children's work and so on. Now, every now and again, occasionally, very occasionally, it comes back with a result. Generally, it's no result. But result means the police remember. But you know, you know what? When you do a God check, it always comes back no result. Always comes back no result. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you've been. Doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. If you have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him with all of your heart, it's no result. God doesn't remember. He doesn't hold it against you. Never will hold it against you. You hold it against you. People hold it against you. But God never will. And this is all about God this morning. It's all about how He sees you. Because unless we understand how God sees us, we will never be free. Being free starts off by seeing what God says about you. That's why I love that song. I, 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 I am what He says I am. I am what He says I am. Not what I say I am. Not what you say I am. Not what my wife says I am. Not what my parents say I am. But what God says I am. You know, you go on, put your stuff on Facebook or on YouTube. If you really, if you really, 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 really want to take a risk, you compose a song and you put it on YouTube and you get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And we look at those and we say, oh, five thumbs up, ten thumbs down. Oh, I'm hopeless. That's just people's opinion. It stinks. It's not worth the paper it's written on. It's just people. What God, what 
people think about you doesn't matter. What you think about you isn't important. It's what God thinks about you. And what He thinks about you is pure, clean, holy, righteous. You are accepted. You are right. You are in the right if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ to put you there. It's by faith. Not by what you do. You can't earn it. You accept it. Righteousness is under the Christmas tree. Righteousness is being in the right, not behaving like a good boy or girl. Being in the right is under the Christmas tree, all beautifully wrapped up. All you've got to do is open it. You can't create it. You can't earn it. You just open it. You just take it. And this morning, you've got to take freedom in Jesus' name. You've got to take what Jesus has done for you in Jesus' name. Stop trying to earn it. Have you seen that, that um, silly YouTube thing on the counsellor? And the person comes into the counsellor's office. And he says, oh, sit down. Tell me, tell me about yourself. And this person starts to tell. I won't tell you what it is because it might put some of you down. But he starts, he starts, this person, this lady starts saying to him, oh, I do this and I do that. And he looks at her and he says, stop it. Just stop it. Oh, oh, okay. And she starts to tell him some more. He says, stop it. Just stop it. And he, she tells him, are you thick or what? Stop it. That's not good counseling. You'd agree? But I want you to know this morning, when you come before God and you start saying all this stuff to him, he says, stop it. It's gone. It's gone. Don't go back there. Don't talk about that. It's gone. I dealt with that. That's what my son did on the cross for you. Don't revisit that. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. Stop fishing in the lake where the, where the sins are drowned. Start moving forward in freedom because Jesus died to set you free. Stop it. And I want to read you one more passage. Once again in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Some of it I don't, but most of it I do. Isaiah 53. This is talking about Jesus. This is talking about our atonement. This is talking about what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. Isaiah 53, we're going to read the whole thing. And while I'm doing that, the musicians are going to come. We're going to sing that song, The Passion, just as we finish. By the way, who remembers hymns? I don't know whether you've realized, but they're starting to write hymns again. Passion is a hymn. When I was first saved, it was all choruses. This is the day. Choruses. The hymns are coming back. Just sound different, that's all. This is an anthem. It's an anthem about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Let's read Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, that is Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is God come in human flesh. Surely he took up our infirmities like that goat. 
He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken like the other goat, stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the goat of atonement has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was like led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his, offering, his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus died on the cross for you and I. He took our place in the courtroom of heaven. The devil standing at our right hand to accuse Jesus stood before Father God and said, I'll take it all. I take it all on myself. I take their past. I take their present. I take their future. I take their brokenness all upon myself. Father, I give myself for them. Secondly, he took upon himself everything we are, everything we have done, everything we have been, and everything we are going to be. He took it all, bundled it all onto himself and took it away from us. Atonement. Covered. Set free. No longer in shame. Too many of us carry shame, people. Some of you came this morning feeling shame because you don't feel good enough. Truth is you're not good enough. None of us are. But before God, we don't have to carry shame because Jesus died for us. Yeah, we've got work to do. We're coming to that. But right now we need to understand what our place before God is. This is what we're talking about. Our place before God is in the right. If we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are declared to be in the right. Nothing can take that away from you. The devil can stand at your right hand to accuse you, and Jesus will turn around and say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You are just a firebrand. Get lost! Because my children are righteous. In the right. Not perfect. Still a bit broken. But before God, in the right. This morning you have every right to come before God, no matter what you have done. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you have every right to stand confidently before God and say, here I am, Father, I'm your kid. Here I am. I come because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come because of what Jesus has done for me.
people stop trying to earn it. You can't earn it. You've just got to take it. Your, your, your position before God is guaranteed in Jesus. It's not guaranteed by what you do. 